Hello, everyone. Welcome back to We've Been Watching with David Stevenson and Claire Woodward. I'm going to call this season three, Claire. How does that sound? <laughs> season three in a, a fairly irregular series, season or series. I'm so British, I still call it a series. How terrible is that? Shocking. That's shocking. That's shocking. We haven't lost our Britishness. We're still British, you know, which everybody would <laughs> be relieved to hear or not. I don't know anymore. <laughs> but um, literally, as we've uh, just started recording heard the tragic news about Robbie Coltrane's death at only 72. Yeah, that's very sad. Very sad indeed. Um, I mean, he had such a fantastic career and stretching right back, um, beginning with TV, didn't he, Claire? Absolutely. I mean, I think he sort of starred, I think he's the ultimate Scottish star, really, because he worked with John Byrne in the theatre. And John Byrne is just an amazing actor and playwright and fantastic bloke. And then he became, um, he did things like the comic strip. He did lots of comic uh, comedy series for BBC Scotland, like Kick Up the 80s and the fabulously named Laugh, I Nearly Paid My Licence Fee. Um, <laughs> That'll come back. That will be repeated. There's a few things. I can't remember which series he rather famously played a rather gruff or, uh, Glasgow Orangeman in, complete with a big bowler hat. Um, that was rather I mean, fabulous. I mean, the thing about him was that he never took himself too seriously. Did you ever interview him? I, I interviewed him very briefly um, outside the Saatchi Gallery, and he was so lugubrious. I know he was the definition of lugubrious, but he was just... Mm-hmm. So funny about stuff. I thought, you know, a complete natural talent, wasn't he? Absolutely. And I think, you know, his intelligence was absolutely towering. You know, he was he was a really clever guy, um, a bit like John Sessions, really, I think, who, who was, you know, was obviously another Scotsman who died far too early. Um, and I think that intelligence really came across in the pieces he did. I mean, Cracker was just just a piece of dark brilliance, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think Fitz is. People have tried to emulate that character. I mean, you can't emulate the performance, but to come up with that sort of character that the works, and it's much more difficult than people think. I mean, you've got to. I think you're right. You've got to convey the intelligence of the actual character, and that's that. That's no easy job, really. I mean, people people will be remembering that fondly, and I'm sure they'll be digging episodes out to watch if they can find. I mean, God, where would you find an episode of Cracker these days? Is it on Britbox? I don't know, but it's, if it's not, it probably soon will be, won't it? Scott Box. Scott Box, yeah. Because it's interesting, actually, that uh, streaming services are pretty good at picking up on things like this and then shoving the programmes on, aren't they? They are. I suppose most people are going to be just digging out Harry Potter, aren't they, really, and looking at uh, Rubius Hagrid. I mean, that was an amazing performance, really. I mean, he was sort of made for it, but that sort of almost reduces the impact that he had. I think he was, it was it, uh, probably the warmest character in the entire franchise. Yes, he, he was very cuddly, wasn't he? And, you know, he did. He had that just amazing, comforting voice as well and that sort of deep, looming, wonderful presence. Um, yeah, totally. And do you want to hear my favourite? Do you want to hear my favourite line, Claire? I'll get that out of the way early. Yes, we do want to hear it, David. Let's let's have a drum roll for that because we haven't done drum roll for a long time. There's a storm coming, Harry. <laughs> oh, 
Oh dear, that could have been making dust as well today, couldn't it? Yeah. That's so to shiver down the spine of everybody listening, including those new people on Amazon Music. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. Oh, Amazon Music. Are we on Amazon Music now? How fabulous. This Amazon is what's happened in the interim. I've heard of this new company called Amazon and they do Amazon Music. So we're on there as well. For anybody on Spotify or elsewhere that wants to jump across platforms, we're non-discriminatory when it comes to platforms, aren't we? This is fabulous. We're everywhere like a rash now. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes. Very good. And I've got a new some new transitions as well. So we'll try these out. This is number five. This is quite nice. And we'll get on and talk about some TV. It's a little bit about Boulder crashing into Andor, isn't it? But anyway. <laughs> we're gonna start talking about we're gonna start talking about Maxine, which is a real-life drama that was on Channel 5 during the week, I think three episodes. Now, I have to say, it didn't take me long to really dislike this drama, and I have nothing against anybody who's in it or the production. But I just, again, I'm really irritated by the fact that it's even there. Absolutely. And I think those Soa murders have been, they've been picked to pieces by so many true crime shows Absolutely. We know it inside out. And, you know, are we being invited to feel... I think we were being invited to feel sympathy for Maxine, weren't we? And I have absolutely none. Yeah, and doesn't that make you feel awkward? And there's nothing worse, I think, as an audience than feeling manipulated by drama. I mean, we'd never give give in to anybody that we were being manipulated, but I did feel that that was what was happening with this Maxine character. And, I mean, she's probably more evil and huntly than... I don't want to even sort of speculate on that, really, but that's that's what the drama's inviting you to do, and that can't be right. I Yes, I absolutely agree. I mean, in that first episode, you could see that, you know, he was ringing her up and, you know, being abusive and controlling. And, and so what, I thought, really? I mean, I understand why Channel 5 made it because, you know, their crime dramas, are, uh, sorry, their crime documentaries are really popular. But yeah. Are we going to have, like, I, I don't know, well, look how popular Jeffrey Dahmer is on Netflix at the moment. Yeah, totally. I mean, I and I realise these things get ratings, but I've had enough of them. I mean, the, the Dennis Nielsen one, which I think we discussed, or maybe we missed it, but... No, I think we did. It was very good, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, again, that was brilliantly done. And that's the problem with these, isn't it? I mean, I think I think the other thing is that performers, actors must love doing them because they're, I mean, you can't say these are gritty roles. They're, they're, they're so dramatic, aren't they, the roles? Mm. And it's a challenge to get the character right as well and get a real-life character um, down pat. But, I mean, the thing is, with, with Nielsen, you know, he was... Um, and it was David Tennant as well, so you had that interest. Yeah, in yeah. People are wanting to see what Tennant's like. But Maxine, um, it was kind of a well, she was a, she wasn't the main figure in the story, was she? She was the pathetic little woman that did all the cleaning up for him. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the I, go on. Well, I just say I just thought it was grubby. Yeah, absolutely. Great word for it. I mean. The only person that came out of the first episode, I couldn't bear to go on any further, was the journalist. I thought, you know, this is a sort of hero journalist who picked up an inconsistently an inconsistency from Huntley when he started talking about uh, the two victims. And he said, 
pointed out, oh, I didn't think I didn't think you'd met them. Mm, uh, mm. So he was the sort of hero of the piece. But I mean, really, do we? I, I mean, as much as I'd like to see a journalist in a positive role, <laughs> it's not bloody worth it, is it? No, and I mean, I just hated it when his daughter kept coming into his office, the journalist, and said, oh, let's have a big hug, you know, because... Yeah, I mean, all this stuff is just... Yeah, totally. That's all, That's all again, manipulative, you know, to make you see another father-daughter relationship. And I, I just... I mean, that's too too much of a cliche. I, I mean, I was writing this week about it, and my conclusion was that Ofcom should rule that you can't make any ad revenue while the program's actually on the air. And I think that would slow them down a bit because, I mean, really, these are just money-making exercises by the TV channels. Absolutely. And again, this one was over three consecutive nights, wasn't it? And yeah. it's not a story worth telling over three consecutive nights, is it? I just, I just, I just hated every minute of it. You know, it was just so... You know, why are we remembering these people? Let's remember, you know, and ironically, you know, we didn't see much of the girls who were murdered or anything to do with the murder. You know, why can't we remember these poor young kids as opposed to the people who murdered them and who abetted their murderers? Yeah, totally. All we're doing is we're memorialising serial killers, aren't we? That's what we're doing with all these programmes. We're not doing anything about, you know, the making the victims stand out in any sort of a way. I mean, of course, that was... What they saw, obviously, is a virtue when they were making it. We're not going to, one, show the crime. We're not going to show the victims in any sort of a way. So that takes away some of the shocking element. And no, it doesn't, really. That's just trying to be artistic for the sake of some brownie point, isn't it? Mm-mm. And, I mean, I would love to know what the families of the victims of these crimes, which are rehashed time and time again, feel about these, you know, the terrible events that they were involved in, being shown over and over again. I mean, I guess some people find a comfort in it to remember their loved ones, but boy, oh boy, it must be very hard to move on. Yeah, not in that way they wouldn't find it comfort, surely. I mean, I mean, I suppose it's going to be pointed out to you as well by everybody that's around you. I mean, you know, mm. in, a, in a small village and small area like that, it's inevitable. And people, you know, I couldn't imagine the townsfolk would have actually watched it. But whenever you whenever you question broadcasters about this thing, and they say, "Oh, we always went to the family, and they were absolutely fine about it," but of course, the reality is that no family of a horrific crime can do anything about it. They're pretty powerless if if someone wants to make a drama. Yes, that's interesting. It's all public domain, and you know, it's under the name of uh, you know, this is this is fiction. And I mean, you know, obviously, the Maxine thing really was fiction. We don't largely know what went on. Um, but yes, uh, we don't want any more of this, please, uh, broadcasters. We've kind of had no, enough. No, exactly. Um, so we'll give that. I'll, I'll just give it one star, and you can actually give it even less if you like. Well, I'll, I'll, well I'll, I think we can't really give it any lower than one. But it was like I, I felt dirty after watching it, frankly. And I think, as far as actors are concerned, there's any actors listening on Amazon Music? Now, no, I'm not <laughs> sponsored by them. Um, <laughs> Just don't do these dramas. Just turn them down. Why do you keep doing them? What you know? Why you know? What's in it for you? Well, yeah. Well, everybody needs a remuneration. But this is what was I was thinking about when I was watching uh, the final um, three episode series of the Rise of the Nazis on BBC Two this week. I just wonder what people think when they get asked to play Adolf Hitler in a recreation. 
you know, do they enjoy it? Are they flattered? Do they think well, they're oh, the ultimate serial? Again? That's the ultimate serial killer performance, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, because it's interesting. Uh, I mean, I haven't noticed um, the same person playing uh, playing the Führer in too many things. I suppose it's one thing you don't really want to get typecast as, isn't it, Hitler? <laughs> I mean, that looks a, a bit of quality, actually. That's the, is it called? It's not downfall, or was it the downfall of Hitler? Or I, I, I think it's. I think it's just all called Rise of the Nazis. But this this run is about the fall of the Nazis, and it's just really interesting because they have lots of different voices. Um, it's not just the usual um, sort of you know history professor blokes, but there's lots of international historians, historians of colour. There's women historians on there who is clearly as obsessed about Nazi history as I am. Um, And it's just beautifully presented. And, um, yeah, the the sort of, you know, recreation things are all done very well. Um, Well, I think it's it's slightly different, isn't it, in, in the respect, I suppose, that they are... They have a thesis that they're wishing to tell us on the in the TV documentary, hopefully. Mm. Yeah, uh, it, it's, whereas it's, there is no often with the TV dramas, unfortunately, uh, you can't see why they're being made. But I must catch up with the Nazis. Yes, you must. And there was a good series on um, Channel Four recently. Sorry, there was a good series on Channel Four recently. It was called uh, Hitler: The Lost Tapes, uh, and it was going into. It's very interesting about Hitler's photography and how he recreated, he, sorry, how Hitler's photographer created his image. It was it was tremendous, really good stuff. What I don't know about the Nazis now, David, you could write on the back of a postage stamp. <laughs> but we'll still keep you on Nazi watch. I think that's important. Nazi watch, yes. We should do one every week. They're so popular. Yes, we should definitely do that. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'm up for that. Good. That's worthy of a transition. (laughs) (laughs) Nearly caught my hand in the car door. Let's move on to ITV. We're going slightly up market with, not that I'm trying to cause too much offence to Channel 5, but let's go to Karen Peary. um, Again, this was told over three weeks, interestingly, um, and not a crime drama, not a real story as far as I'm aware, but it was interesting because it was dealing with cold case, a cold case from 25 years ago in Scotland. And uh, a Val, Mc, Val McDiarmid character uh, being portrayed for the first time, Karen Peary. And someone called Karen as a detective was the last thing I ever expected to see on television, frankly. Exactly. Well, I mean, she did say, didn't she, in the first episode, this is a bad time to be called Karen, uh, which I thought was, you know, very of the moment. But, I mean, Val's... Um, work is really of the you know it's of the moment and it does feel really fresh because her books I don't think are in the um I think Wire in the Blood was hers, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. That was very good. The Robson and that Green. was very good. But I just think she's such a she writes such vital characters and there's always so much that goes into the forensics as well. And it was just so nice to see, you know, a fresh faced young actress. Um, in a good, meaty, serious role, um, not just a piece of fluff. That's what I enjoyed most about it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I thought it, I thought I'd found little to criticise. I, I think the first episode was a bit slow, and I couldn't work. It, it was a bit disjointed. But once they drove the story on, I thought it was 
uh, high quality stuff. And particularly the last episode, I thought was very dramatic. I thought the last 20 minutes was some of the best telly I've watched this year, really. And I wasn't expecting it. But you're absolutely right about having a sort of fresh faced younger woman um, pitted against the sort of brutal old killer. I mean, I thought that Hmm. was really chilling in the in the absolute sense of the word. And it made me think about the, it's is probably quite close to to real life detective work in a sense where you've got younger detectives often coming up against people that they have to face down and try and get the truth from. Mm-hmm. If we could have had it over three consecutive nights, I think it it may well have improved it. But I don't think it took anything away from the original idea, which to get an original idea for a detective drama now is quite something, isn't it? And it, it dumped the cliche of the the older detective who is either a widower or is drunk or can't <laughs> find his way across the road or some, some similar ailment. And um, it's trying to work out a sort of complex serial killer investigation with about 17 victims. Mm-hmm. And I thought what I liked about it as well, it had echoes of... Um of unforgotten as well with those sort of you know three young men who were questioned about the murder in the past or coming together in the present uh, yeah absolutely we're big fans of unforgotten i mean do we know when it's coming back david i don't but i it did it did make me think of that because that's such high i mean i think the storytelling slightly better in unforgotten Mm, um, mm. because he's been around a bit longer in a way but um Yes, I mean, um, I think sort of four and a half stars for me, really. Oh, yeah, four, four, four from me. I'm being a little less generous. But, uh, yeah, it was good. And I say, it, was, it just felt fresh. So, thumbs aloft. Yeah, well done, ITV. We'll have some cheering, I think. Right, and then some. Oh my God! I'd love to know where that came from. It sounds like the sounds like the Chippendales audience. I think that was a, some some leftover um, can cheering from the NTAs when Philip Schofield oh. picked up his award. Now I noticed I, I noticed on this morning's this morning they did a sort of celebratory reel for this morning winning an NTA, craftily cutting out any booing and hissing and uh, and anything about. The highly ridiculous Q Gate story. Yeah, I mean, I think I I really think they should have done some sort of recognition and apology for that because, um, you know, it's not a big story, but it was a it it was a bit of a cock up, wasn't it? Let's face it, mm-hmm. some, some sort of clever PR or something came up with the idea of saying, "Oh God, we we can get you into the press area." I mean, we could have got into the press area, but chose not to do it. I didn't queue either, but you know. I thought it was probably wrong to do it. Um, yes, and they didn't actually report on it, did they? They weren't seen on screen reporting on it. If that's what the level of reporting is these days, I might go and be a reporter again. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, what about the NTAs last night? I mean, I do think they should actually... Um, there was booing, a bit of booing for Anton Deck winning again. But, you know, they are nominated and the award is voted for by the public. So, yeah, I don't have an issue with them getting so many awards. I mean, I watched a trailer which was released um, lunchtime today about the next series of I'm a Celebrity. And even the trailer made me look forward to the show. I mean, it was brilliantly done, the trailer, really well acted. And they're, you know, falling out of a helicopter 
and laughing and joking, you know, and I, I just thought it was brilliantly done. So they're, they're good. Yeah, they are the best, aren't they? It's like sort of Bradley Walsh as well, isn't it? You know, winning a game for, you know, beat the chasers, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I, think, I don't think we should sort of grow to resent popular performers. I mean, that's, just, that's getting ridiculous, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it is we ridiculous. Put we, we put them there. We're watching them. I mean, they, be, they are by definition popular because of the audience that they attract. Um, mm. It's difficult to get away from that, really, isn't it? The other award I thought was really good was Anton Dubeck. Oh, I love Anton. He's so fabulous. You know, I'm just amazed that no one signed him up for, for a sort of, you know, an ITV travelogue or something like that, because, you know, he is such joyous company and he is very smart and witty. And um, yeah, he's he's wonderful. And again, Martin Lewis last night as well, who I just think is a very good thing for the country. Yeah, totally. He's brilliant on that show. I mean, he's He's got a what is a regular slot, I think, on GMB. I think he's there Monday and Tuesdays. I might be wrong. I think that's what he, uh, the days that he does. But his tips and his advice to people is absolutely brilliant. I mean, for God's sake, he should be in the cabinet. I don't think we've got a completely dysfunctional government and a cabinet at the moment. I mean, Martin Lewis could run it in his spare time and take him five minutes to whip them into shape. Absolutely. Well, you know, after it's been your turn and my turn, David, maybe Martin can do it. But I just think it was a pretty genius move of ITV to put the Martin Lewis money show on prime time in the evening. You know, yeah, it's, it, you know, who would have thought it? Cause that's normally the sort of thing that would be put in a daytime schedule. But, yeah, you know, I mean, I think you would think that's the driest, the driest thing. And of course, it is a dry subject when People are trotting along nicely. They've got a job which pays them well. Like they can afford to heat their house. I mean, that's the sort of stability that we all crave at the moment. But we don't, we don't have that. I mean, this week I caught up as a sort of rough old segue, caught up with another episode of the Boris Johnson drama, This England. I don't know whether you caught any of that, have you, Claire? No, I haven't. No, I'd be interested to hear what you have to say, David. Well, the drama, I really enjoyed the first episode. I thought the first episode was terrific because I love Kenneth Branagh and anything he does, really. And his performance wasn't an imitation. It was, you know, done from, you know, the solar plexus, if you like. So it was, uh, it had some meaning to it of this sort of, you know, humanoid uh, quota of Shakespeare sort of <laughs> philandering and floundering around number 10, trying to get trying to get on with government, not particularly well, it has to be said. Um, so I enjoyed that more than anything. I know a lot of people didn't. But I'm in episode three now, and it's become incredibly bleak and grim about COVID, as you would imagine. And it's sort of a documentary with a tiny bit of drama uh, tacked onto it. I'm not sure it's still working. So I'm getting increasingly disappointed with it. And I'm thinking... Of course, I'm now nostalgic for Boris Johnson, something that I never thought was actually going to be possible. Yeah, it's tragic, isn't it? Absolutely tragic. Um, I'm sure maybe Liz Trust, the drama, will be along in a few weeks' time when she's out of office because, you know, it wasn't a pretty quick turnaround for this England, wasn't it? It was, it was. And I think if, if Johnson would still have been in power, <laughs> I think we would have viewed it differently and I think that is that is a bit of a shame about it I mean it's such a shame that Sky didn't have any any input to stop Liz Trust becoming Prime Minister I think maybe Karen maybe uh, Lauren is it Lauren Lyle 
who played Karen Peary could be a good uh, Liz Truss. God, who, who would want to play oh, that? Yeah, I mean, yes, exactly. You know, I mean, um, I think the Daily Star have a thing online, you know, which will, li- they've got a live webcam on, a picture of Liz Truss and a picture of the lettuce, and they're saying, which will survive the longest, Liz Truss or the lettuce? So maybe the lettuce could play Liz Truss. <laughs> Um, for anyone, I don't know whether you caught it, for anyone wanting uh, a glimpse of the royal family this week, I mean, goodness knows, somebody's probably sort of craving that. Um, they could have caught up with what was quite a decent documentary on raising the Mary Rose. Um, probably the biggest salvage operation ever. With, But the whole documentary was about um, sort of minor scrapping between the Royal Engineers and the Mary Rose Trust, which they'd all captured uh, on film, which I thought was brilliant. And it had been lost somewhere in Channel 4 unearthed it. That's interesting because, you know, when the Mary Rose came up, it was their part of a, if you're a kid at the time, I think it was featured quite a lot on Blue Peter. So a lot of people will, will remember that with fondness. But clearly, you know, I, I think the world of arts, culture, and heritage can get quite vicious, really, underneath all those tweed jumps. Well, they were determined. Uh, it got it got so heated, and uh, I mean, you're basically having people, you know, well-meaning people within the charity uh, trying to organise the crane at various points until the crane master refused to take any further instruction from you. I don't. I'm not surprised, really. The crane master. Oh dear. Hello, I'm the crane master of, of Togmore. Yeah, does that come out of I don't know a Game of Thrones thing? I am the crane master or something. I think this would be an episode where Tog Moore would sort of um, become sort of hideous am- animal and sort of start stalking the earth, really. I look forward to that. <laughs> yeah, that'll be new and exciting. But in, in my search for television this week, and it did get a, a bit grim in the middle of the week, I found myself looking at an old Poirot and an old, even older May Gray. I mean, do you find yourself on talking pictures very often, Claire? No, not as often as I used to find myself on that particular channel no but that's the Rupert I was gonna say Rupert Everett Rupert what's his name Rupert Davis Magro Rupert Davis I mean that is a classic and that's like 50s yeah it was 52 I thought my lord how much further can I keep going back I'm going to run out of tv altogether historically (laughs) but how does it stand up well it sort of does I mean of course it takes you it takes you a good five minutes to get used to black and white, doesn't it? Because you keep imagining, oh, I wonder what colour that is, you know, and that's quite distracting for about five minutes for me. Mm. Um, particularly when he was sort of, because he drinks a lot of wine, Maygrave, and I thought, I wonder if he's having white or red. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the pathetically interesting things that you look for in a TV show. But I thought otherwise it, it really stood out as something that is, even though quite theatrical, even though it's quite theatrical, it's still very well acted and well written. So it it, it works, but you're sort of have a, having to overcome a very grainy screen in the meantime. Mm-hmm. And I mean, who would have thought that it would have been remade with um, Rowan Atkinson? Yeah, I think that's where it does stand up because he's it, Rupert Davies is a little bit plumper and he's far more believable as a Frenchman. I think that a Frenchman of sort of senior years let's say mm. and of course the investigations are good the mystery that that's the other key thing about these i mean if you because it's told in an hour you can sort of compare it with things like if you like death in paradise which um is, i think it comes out quite favorably there 
anything would. Oh, I said it. There you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not the biggest name celebrity in the uh, in the visiting party to the island who's going to be the killer, which is normally the killer or the victim anyway. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, vintage TV. There's there's a uh, a channel that's popped up on Freeview called That's TV, which has the most random selection of old programs, mainly from the seventies, that I've ever seen. You know, you get you can find out Benny Hill and the Goodies, and a selection of programs about how celebrities died, um, stuff like wow. that. It, it, Harry Enfield. I mean, I don't know how they buy these programs in, but it really is the most bizarre channel. But, That's funny. Um, I did. I did. I think I did a piece on one of because they did. They've got. They've got till death is too part, haven't they? Yes, that's right. And I had a chat with the channel controller, um, Mr. Controller, and I mean he was sort of celebrating that it might be offensive in various points, and I th I thought that was quite hilarious. Really, I was thinking, you know, can you can you go around calling some calling your wife a silly moo? And he said, oh yes, we've made sure we've kept that in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't be offended if someone called me a silly old moo. I am. But um, it's it's interesting that you know they still get you know there is a market for all these old things and also particularly because it's on Freeview, normally yeah, these things are hidden like behind a paywall. Yeah, totally. And I think you know, cost of living, people are not are going to be thinking you know which service can I know we've talked about this before which service I'm going to use and of course I'm mentioning Amazon a lot but um, I think it's one of the cheapest, is it not? Well, I mean, I've noticed today that Netflix are going to do a four ninety nine subscription, but you will get less programs for it. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know what your, your bargain basement Netflix subscription will include. Presumably, it will be things that have been done to death, and you'll have to wait—I don't know—a year or two to get to get the new ones. I mean, what we're looking at is a really, really fragmented TV market where you won't know. How many people are watching anything? Although Netflix say they're now going to uh, release some um, audience figures. I don't know whether that's. I mean, people. It's only people in the media that care about audience figures. Do people actually go? God, I'm surprised more people didn't watch the Queen's funeral, aren't you? <laughs> well, that's it. And because it doesn't rely on advertising, I mean, you know, the only thing that matters to them is their bottom line of profit and loss, isn't it? Yeah, totally. Um, I had a look at some pictures came in today um, of the new series of The Crown. I'm wondering if it's going to be boosted by the Queen's, the death of the Queen, or whether people will stay away from it thinking it's in some way offensive. Um, it's hard to really call that sort of thing, isn't it? Well, I think people will watch it regardless. I mean, I have to say I kind of gave up because I, I find the sort of Princess Diana and Prince Charles storyline rather sad and and not very interesting anymore. I mean, what really I really enjoyed about The Crown were, you know, characters like Princess Margaret and Princess Anne who were just really interesting and we don't know, you know, we don't talk much about them, but the chuck and die thing is just very, very sad. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a terrible story. I know it was interesting that Olivia Williams is playing... Um, Camilla Parker Bowles, now the Queen's consort, and she was saying she was looking for the humour in the role because of their terrible predicament. I was saying, God, I bet they're having a good old laugh over a double gin and tonic. Yeah, exactly. You know, oh, yeah, laughing at Diana. I mean, yeah, 
yeah, it's again, I would I would say it's an up market version of little bit grubby, uh, although maybe not quite the vaccine levels of grubbiness. Yeah, I mean it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think people now um take exception to the crown because they they say it's not accurate. And yet in every single drama there is a compression of events and it, it, there there is no accurate that's not the point of it to be accurate. And mm. yet there's a real problem now of being able to separate what is real life and what is a TV drama. I mean, the TV dramas are sort of, in, it's a version of reality, isn't it? Mm, mm, exactly. Maybe they'll make a TV drama of this podcast. Absolutely. Because we're a version of something. We're a version <laughs> of a podcast. Who's going who's gonna to play you, David? Oh, God. Well, pity Tom Cruise is too short. It would be straight in there with his sort of acting <laughs> skills. Yeah, leaping over sofas and everything. Who would you go for, Claire? Dandy Nichols until death is due part if she was still around. She, she could play me as a silly old moo in a wraparound thinny. Well, they probably call we could. What would we call it? We would call it silly old moose or something. Shall we finish with a quick word on my favourite reality show at the moment? I mean, I'm not watching that many. This is the only one I'm watching, to be frank. Go we'll have on. A transition. We'll have a transition just for the hell of it. Oh, that sounds like a boulder landing in the middle of the Australian outback, which is what <laughs> what I was watching in The Farmer Wants a Wife on E4 on Monday. It's, you only get to see it once a week, which I think is probably about right, really. Um, well, it's all about quite simple, simple farming folk, and they are simple farming folk, who have got TV cameras trained on them and about it starts off with about at least 20 women throwing themselves at these four guys who can't believe their luck really i don't think they've seen female folk for about two decades and what are the women like are they sort of the antithesis of the outback lifestyle shall we say well they are you've got management consultants and uh, <laughs> people like this i mean they're mostly sort of metropolitan folk and i'm thinking well you're not interested one of them one of the women was saying this guy who had a vineyard in Tasmania, I don't class as a farmer, but anyway, he'd built this sort of, he'd almost built this sort of wooden hut at the back of his house. And she's going, well, it doesn't look very suitable for children. I'm thinking, well, why? Because it doesn't have any windows. I mean, he hasn't even finished it. That sounds fantastic. I mean, <clears throat> one of the great, I mean, I just like to hear, you know, the songs, that, lyrics of Waltzing Matilda being changed. The thing about this show is one of the, one of the places they went to is Cunnamulla, which I've, vaguely no i've never been there but it's eight hours north of brisbane so that's that's as far away from anywhere as you can just about get mm. and you know no one in their right mind would go there i mean okay someone who's close to animals might do but I go <laughs> and on that note lovely to be back and uh i won't mention amazon next week next week it's spotify's turn yes exactly or any other people who take us on until next time David absolutely great to catch up on all the latest telly Claire